Would you welcome my good friend, Bishop Parnell Lovelace. Now, I told you it was going to be fun. I told you it's going to be a surprise, exciting. I'm telling you, it's really great uh, to be with my buddy and to be able to preach side by side as we kind of kick off today. We are trying to join in on what God is doing throughout the region, and that is that we're both on the board of City Pastors Fellowship, and they came up with the idea, actually, I think it came from Scott Hagen and his crew, um, that on Pentecost weekend, which happens to be this weekend, that all across uh, the region, the pastors would do pulpit swapping. So uh, they would cut out all honorariums. They said, we're just going to switch. doesn't matter if it's a big church or the small church or uh, this church versus that church. If you have a relationship with another pastor and, and you trust them, just switch out pulpits and then you get to love on their people. They get a chance to love on you. And we're all going to teach the same theme. And the theme is unity in the body of Christ. And I thought, well, I don't trust him to give him my pulpit, so I'm going to come with him. No, that's not, that's not what. Uh, no, 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 I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought, what would be cooler than being able to do it together and being able to teach side by side to demonstrate the power of what we are going to try to convey to you from God's word? Uh, what God is doing in our region is extraordinary. There are so many different things happening. We're involved in it a lot. I don't talk about it as much because we tend to stick with kind of what we're teaching on. But I just want to give you a real quick kind of update as to what is going on around our region. And um, maybe some of you just saw the AD TV show. You guys watching that AD show? Yeah. Right on, right on. All right. Did you all see the commercial? Yeah, there's a Bridgeway commercial on there. All right, I'm in it. I haven't seen it, but but I'm in it. Um, we filmed it. Did you see how that commercial started? The commercial started with Bayside Church would like to introduce you to Bridgeway. Now, the reason why is that Bayside took up a special offering to buy 10 spots in the AD series to give five of them to other churches to bless them and honor them and highlight them. And his church was one of them and ours was the other. I mean, wow, just a huge sacrifice to be able to highlight other people, other brothers and sisters throughout the community. So when I talk about unity and we're talking about getting the body together, these are the things we're talking about. City Pastors Fellowship started pretty small and it's grown to hundreds of pastors to get together every quarter. And the agenda is basically relationships. That's it. There's no heavy thing about we're all going to do this and we have to do this. It, we're all different. I mean, there's so many denominations represented there. There's so many backgrounds. In addition to the senior pastor one or the senior leader one that we do, they just launched last week, Next Gen uh, City Pastors Fellowship, 120 youth leaders all got together. And then they are launching the Spanish speaking one with all the pastors that lead the Latino congregations. They're working on one uh, with the Slavic churches and there's there's all this different movement going on of saying hey What do we have in common? We have Jesus in common. Let's begin to focus on that kind of stuff uh, 
I recently, uh, uh, along with Banning from Jesus Culture, if you're familiar with him, we uh, had kind of a grouping together of 20. There was 30 on the list. Only 20 could show. 20 young pastors in their 30s. And we invited them all together and had a little luncheon together just to say, hey, guys, I know it's hard being in ministry. And all of them were going, man, I'm in over my head. This is really, really difficult. And all we did was exchange numbers and allow people to develop relationships. Uh, In addition to that, uh, he's leading a bunch of leaders in his church and launching them out into the community. I'm doing the same thing here. We have pastors that we meet with from Woodland and Davis and... So I know I don't talk about all that very often. I just want you to know how much is going on in the greater body of Christ. The last thing I'll say are these two pieces. Um, Maybe you're familiar, but uh, we did a retreat last year along with COP, Center of Praise, Bayside of South Sac, The Rock, and Bridgeway. We did a men's retreat, and we all kind of got them together. Well, that started something where our men's ministries are still doing things together today. And we just found out that we brought in the church mosaic and actually our prison ministries are all tying in together to go love on those that are incarcerated. So there's continued partnership uh, between our churches. It didn't die out. It's not done. It's only lifting off from here out. And I'll finish by saying this. Y'all know who Luis Palau is? All right, Luis Palau is... Uh, kind of like, we'll call him the Latino Billy Graham, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had huge conferences and uh, evangelistic crusades for years. Well, he is kind of winding up his season in ministry and handing off to his sons. And he is doing one of his last crusades. It may be his last crusade next month. But talk about going out with a bang. This is not just about our region. It's not just about, because he was a big impact on our culture here. He got a lot of us together thinking differently and got us more connected when he was here. But it's not just about our region. It's about the United States. Luis Palau next month is going to do a conference or a crusade in Central Park, New York. And it's going to be one of the largest ever. They're bringing in 1,500 churches are partnering together to launch a crusade, 10 million bucks they invested into it to make sure that the people of New York know that Jesus Christ loves them, to present the gospel, and to do a massive crusade to love on people. All I'm trying to tell you is that everything we're about to teach you this morning is legit, it's moving, it's happening, it's something God is doing, and it's something that we're joining in on. And so, hi, Parnell, welcome. What's up, Bridgeway family? Good to see y'all. What a blessing. My, 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 my. It is such a joy to see you, and it's always a joy to not only be in the house of the Lord, but to be with my dear friend, Pastor Lance. And it's exciting to see all of you all because I call you family because you are family. That's not just a nice little statement that we make because it's the church thing to say. It is a reality. As you've heard Pastor Lance share, there's so much going on in our region, so much that's going on in this particular church, so much that's going on at Center of Praise. And I'm just excited to be a part of everything that God is doing. I want to be right in the middle of it. How about you? I want to be right in the middle of it. 
And yet, as we think of all that he is doing and all that is taking place and so much we can look back over this last year and celebrate all of the blessings of coming together and the fellowship that is taking place, there's yet more to do. Because we are facing a time in which it is seemingly people are focused on being divided. They're focused on pointing out what our differences are. And as a result of that, it's brought about a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Our sharing today is to really address this head on, to deal with the fact that we want to be intentional about unity, intentional about fellowship, intentional about family. I would preface by saying that we're not just merely talking about, as most would think, by virtue of observation with myself and Lance standing on the stage, that we're merely going to talk about uh, the distinctions or the division between black and white. Now, there's a, there's a lot of divisions that take place. There's black and white, red and white, yellow and white. Notice the common denominator, white. No, I'm playing. It's, There's a lot of things that take place in regards to division, but we're not just talking about racial or ethnic division. In fact, I hold very candidly, and this is one of the things that I emphasized when I was doing my doctoral thesis, is that there's only one race, and that's the human race. It's only one race. And yet there's a diversity of culture, a diversity of ethnicities, Diversity as it relates to social economically, diversity as it relates to uh, socially, the social constructs and mores of life. And we also see there's diversity as it relates to faith and to how we perceive God, how we minister God, the different ways that we, again, share our faith, our, our faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things represent diversity, and if we're not careful, it can move from diversity into division. That's what we want to really hit head on today, is that we understand the differences, but it need not set itself up to present itself as disunity. God has something larger than that in his mind and in his heart towards us. When I think of your pastor, he and I come from two very different backgrounds. I was raised in the Dow Paso Heights community in Sacramento, and later my family would be the, uh, we would actually move into an area called Foothill Farms. Back then it was called Hillsdale. We were the first African-American family to move in that area. We were one of the first. There was only one other family that moved in about two months after us. And uh, I was raised primarily by a military family. Both my parents were in the Air Force, the United States Air Force, and both served. Then your pastor, he was raised in the country, raised there in El Dorado Hills. And uh, again, two very different perspectives, theologically, very different. First part of my life, I was raised in the Baptist denomination, and then after the age of 16, I was raised in the Pentecostal denomination, so I'm kind of what you call a Baptocostal. <laughs> I'm kind of mixed up in there. Your pastor, interesting enough, it was the reverse. 
He was brought up in a Pentecostal or Assembly of God background and then later went into more of a conservative Baptist background. So it's amazing how there's that distinction and that uniqueness. And yet what draws me to him as my friend and as my brother is that I sense and discern that both of us serve the same God. We love Jesus passionately, and we love his people passionately. And there's something about just being in his presence. Not only he and, uh, and I have shared that connection, but our wives now share that connection as well as they communicate back and forth. So, again, I, I just want to be in a place that I can experience the Lord's heart towards unity and coming against these walls of division. So I, I purposely have made my way up here to Bridgeway. I purposely come here into an environment that I just believe that everyone in this room has a heart that's open to whatever God wants to do, whatever walls want that he wants to pull down in our lives. We want to just open our heart to it. And and on this Pentecost Sunday, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to have his way in us, to do what he wants to do and to bring us together, all different backgrounds, so that we can see change take place in our city. You know, when I first met Parnell, you all maybe remember the story. If you're new, let me just let me bring you up to speed. It was it was after he spoke at a city pastor's fellowship gathering he was talking about handing his church off uh, to a young man that he felt like the Lord had called and said, I, the church that you built with me from scratch, and it's now 25 years later, the church that you built from scratch, I would like you to hand off to the next generation. And I was so stunned by the message because I had never, ever heard that. I, there's no training in seminary for succession planning. For the idea of what would you do, especially when you're super young, right? It's one thing to hand off maybe when you start getting a little bit more into your 80s and you're saying, hey, I'm going to transfer this young guy right here decides that I think the Lord is telling me something different and he's telling me something that goes against my natural grain because he still is so ferocious for ministry and has so much vision and passion. And yet God said, I want you to hand off. I understand you think it's your thing, but this is my thing. And so he laid it on his heart to hand off to a young man. Now, when I heard that message, I was already moved and I was already transformed just by hanging out near him, but I didn't know him. So I go walking out and I had already known that God had kind of highlighted him to me as being someone I wanted to connect with. But as I exited the chapel there at Capital Christian, which is where we were holding it at the time, as I go walking out these double doors, he was kind of greeting people as they left. And, and I looked him in the eye and he said three words that I'm used to saying that are kind of special to me and I don't ever hear adult men say very often. As I walked by, he said, I love you. For an adult man to tell another adult man, I love you, means that there's something different about them in the sense that there's a softness. There is a, uh, there's a, I'm into God first and I'm not worried about how I appear, right? That, there's a humility there. And so I went, uh, it immediately clicked with me and I let him know at that moment, God has highlighted that we need to be together. 
we need to have a friendship. Now, I didn't even know the guy. I didn't know if he was an axe murderer. I didn't know if he was, I don't know what was going on with this guy. All I knew is that God highlighted him and said, that's my man. And if that's my man, he, God said, then I want to know his men. I want to know his women. I want to know the leaders that he's raising up. I want to know what God is doing in this place. Well, when I saw the, the, his eyes, what I saw was a reflection of Jesus in me, which was that we have the same heart, same passion. We're fired up about the same things. Uh, when he gets up in the morning, he knows that he is only here by the grace of God. That when he goes to bed, he is going to bed in the grace of God. And, and I realized that he's the one that would die for his people. Well, if he dies for his people and I die for my people, we have a lot more in common than we ever have apart. And it doesn't matter what our backgrounds are. It doesn't matter how different we look. It doesn't matter. We have the same heart. The same blood flows through our veins. The same Jesus saved us. The same Holy Spirit is in our lives, right? Amen? Amen. 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 And so I saw a brother that I could partner with that I said, wow, our hearts beat the same. But it's not like we've arrived. Yeah. It's not. I mean, it, we're just starting. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share a little bit about yeah, that? It's, it's a work in progress, indeed. It's something that it's taken an ability to be comfortable with that which is uncomfortable. The ability to embrace the fear rather than run from the things that we fear. And that's been the joy of this friendship and the joy of this relationship, even my relationship with this church. I was sharing with someone recently when they were asking about you all here at Bridgeway. They say, you actually have preached in Bridgeway? And I said, yeah, quite a few times. And they were commenting. They said, I didn't know that there was anything welcoming to us past Douglas Boulevard. (laughs) And that is the perception that many people have based upon, sadly, the experience that they have had in times past mm-hmm. in communities, past Roseville and Folsom and Granite Bay and, and Lincoln and Rockland. That has been the experience. And yet what is powerful is to watch God allow those fears that even myself I've embraced in years past To be able to say, I am bigger than all of that. Mm -hmm. That perfected love casts out, it drives away fear. Mm -hmm. Amen. Where God's love is, there can be no place for fear. Fear is a tormentor. It keeps us from doing the things that need to be done. And so God is up to something so grand and so special. And it is like mining for gold in this friendship. Again, I I remember the first time I preached to you all, and it took a little getting used to uh, talking to an audience that didn't talk back to me. (laughs) You all do a little bit better now. You do a little bit better. Because I'm I'm used to, you know, at the church there in Sacramento, I'm used to getting there, and they they help me preach. (laughs) They really do. They help me preach. I mean, everybody, from the children to the elders, everyone helps me preach. And there's a certain part in the message that when we, we, we call it, we're, we're ready to put the gravy on the rice. We're ready for it. And there's a certain part in the message where I'll just sit there and say, Say yeah! And see, if I say it to you all, y'all kind of look at me. It's, 
But you're getting better. You're getting better. But the point is, is that we, we, we look at relationships and the things that really are important to us. And we ask the question, what are we willing to dig for? What are we willing to invest? Are we willing to dig for the gold that is there and mine that gold and take patience with it and see God bring up out all of those things that he wants to do in our lives? And I've come to appreciate this church. I've come to appreciate this man. Your pastor has become one who is received among many, many pastors in our community because he bears the heart of Jesus and carries the name that has been given to this church in a very meaningful way. Bridgeway. Bridgeway. And an ability to go where there are distinctions and differences. And watch me. Be able to go and say, we're going to be a bridgeway. We're going to make a bridge here, but yet have the courage to walk on the bridge as you're building it. Noting that that bridge may seemingly feel like it could collapse. It's that fragile. It's that shaky. Looking ahead of you and saying, we're going to put the planks down as we go. I've watched him do that, particularly in recent days, in recent months, bridging the gap that has been so prevalent in our community between the conservative Christianity and that of the charismatics and the Pentecostals in our community. It, it is an amazing thing. There, there's a price that comes with that. There's a price that comes when you see people who are willing to say, we're going to be a bridge builder and, and, and be open. Watch me since it's Pentecost Sunday. Be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not being closed off to what God may want to do. There's lots of things. Trust me on this. I may not be comfortable with myself. But I'm willing, listen, to say, Holy Spirit, if you're in it, if you're in it, I want to be in the middle of it. I want to flow. I, it, it's not about a denomination. It's about lives being transformed. Amen. People's hearts being changed. If somebody's sick, if someone needs healing in their body, I don't know how you feel about it. I want to be able to know that I can go to a place and there's somebody who's willing to believe God and pray with me and believe that God is yet a healer today. He's yet a healer today. It doesn't Listen, it doesn't have to get weird and spooky. But it does have to be a people that are open enough to say, God, what are you doing? And I've seen your pastor step out in that and move in that. I've seen you all do it. And I want to commend you for it, Bridgeway, because I'm telling you, the person who's sitting in this room today who's been diagnosed with cancer, the person who's sitting in this room today that is strung out in addiction, the person who's sitting in this room today because they have been cast out of their own family, the people who sit in this room today because uh, they, they have thought that this is a place that will welcome them despite their ethnicity, the people who sit here, they don't need any more religion. They need people who have relationship with a living and a loving God who is ready to move in our midst and show himself mighty. Now, you know why I love him, right? I mean, you can kind of gather this, but, but when we're talking about mining for gold, uh, when I hang out with him, I hope that his maturity rubs off on me, right? I mean, I'm not very formal. I'm not, you know, I got, 
Uh, I, I'm much more, you know, I kind of do the playful thing and, and I take God seriously. I don't take myself seriously, but I, I've engaged with this man in some depth and richness about his heritage. Uh, I, I tell the story about when I first walked into his office. Now, if you've ever been in my office, my office looks like a child's office. If you walk into his office, it's an adult office, all right? And and I and I'm looking up at the wall, and the, it's a wall of history. It's a wall of this is where my family came from. This is where we're headed. These are the people that have been powerful and transformative. And stepping into that, I began to long for instituting deep, rich legacy. I began to. He showed me a different part of Jesus. He showed me a different part of church. He showed me a different way of appreciating the past and carrying forward the richness of that. He shows me more and more of God. And so the, the more I hang out with him, I feel like the more I'm becoming well-rounded because I don't want him to be identical to me. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. If it's an identical duplication, that it, that creates yeah. agitation. But if there's difference, if there's something that he can bring to the table I don't have, I'm blessed just by hanging out with a guy. And so I was watching as he handed over. I went to the uh, service where he transitioned to uh, Pastor Joseph Cisak. And there was, uh, there was the depth of handing the actual baton. There was the anointing with oil. There was all this... Uh, formality. There was the commitment verbally from one to another. There was the, he is now your pastor and we will now listen to his leadership kind of, I mean, there was all this power and richness. And I just sat in that environment and just soaked it up and just felt like, you know what? That is so wonderful and glorious. And maybe we need some more of that. And so all I was doing was just drinking in the Jesus that is coming from him. Now, uh, as much as we wanted to introduce kind of this idea and this topic, we want to dig into it. And we have a passage we'd like to lead you through. Uh, y'all familiar with the story of Ruth? All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw that scripture up on the screen. But let me give you a little context. Y'all know I'm into that. The context here is that we're going to go back in time. Thousands of years ago to a period called the period of the judges. If you remember Gideon and Samson and Deborah, that period of time. During that day when people were doing what was right in their own eyes and God raised up judges, there came a famine in the land of Israel. And it was so severe that some families that were Israelite actually left their territory and crossed the tracks into other nations. One of those was Moab. Now, you got to remember, people don't hang out. The Moabites do not hang out with the Israelites. Even though they have a similar history and they're quasi-Jewish in their history, there is hatred and animosity and crossing that border may well have been crossing razor wire. So as they were so desperate, they left their land and they went down into Moab and it was a dad, Elimelech, a mom named Naomi, and they had two boys. As they go down into this land, the boys married Moabite women. Now, that's a no-no in Israel. You don't do that. There's all kinds of rules against that. But for whatever reason, the boys did. That's where they lived. 
They married two Moabite women, a woman by the name of Ruth and a woman by the name of Orpah. Now, for whatever reason, all the men died. Dad dies, the boys die, and we're left with three ladies that have a critical question that they have to answer, which is, what do we do next? How about you lead us to that passage? The beginning of God's word is Ruth 1, verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Naomi, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law Naomi. But Ruth clung to Naomi. And she said, See, that Orpah has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, Naomi. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, no more. What a challenging text, and that now we see taking place. The challenge and the conflict between these three women. Naomi having buried her husband, Ruth having buried her husband, and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah (laughs) having buried her husband, now are faced with a critical crossroad because Naomi has now decided that she's going to return back to her people after living in a land of the Moabites. She's saying, I have nothing else here. I need to go back to where I came from. But the challenge she has is that she cannot necessarily, in her mind, bring Orpah and bring Ruth with her because they are Moabite women. And she three times attempts to dissuade them, attempts to basically tell them, go back to your families, go back to your homes, because in essence... I don't want you to come with me. There's some thought that she's possibly even blaming them. 
She's blaming them for the catastrophe that she's experienced because in essence, Imelech, her husband, brought Ruth and brought her sons into this foreign land. And she's thinking in her mind, I wish if Imelech, if I could bring him back from the grave, I would slap him crazy for bringing us into this land because I've faced nothing but trouble since we've been here. I've lost my husband and now I've lost my sons. She's possibly thinking in her mind that as of every time I look at Ruth, every time I look at Orpah, this wall goes up. I think about the pain that I experience. I think about the grief that I've gone through. So three times she attempts to have them turn from her and go back to their home. The third time, Orpah caves in under the pressure. The third time, Orpah says, I'm out. I'm not willing to pay the price or go the distance or try to, in essence, dig this gold mine that's possibly here because it's too much at stake. Too much that I'm thinking about could be a problem here. So she returns back to her family. She returns back to her gods. But notice here that Ruth does the very opposite. Ruth holds on to Naomi. She doesn't let go. She acknowledges there's a price to be paid. There's a risk at having this relationship. There's a risk at studying this out. There's a risk at, again, believing that something could happen here. But yet and still, she clings to her and she says, I won't let go. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Your people will be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Isn't it powerful that she's able to look past the brokenness and the bitterness. Hear me. The brokenness and the bitterness of Naomi does not in any way cause her to withdraw from Naomi. Sometimes people can be so bitter and so broken that they don't realize the walls that they have erected that push people away. And yet Ruth is able to think back in her mind that despite the season that Naomi is in, despite the failures, despite the frustration, despite the pain, she has observed God enough within Naomi's life that she says, I'm able to look past all of your foolishness, all of your frustration, and still want to cling to your God. I'm able to look past your brokenness and still want to be where you are, where your God is moving amongst his people. That's powerful because I think about that, beloved. In the church, our church, the body of Christ has been so broken by the divisions that we have brought about, the social economic divisions, the fact that many times when we walk into the house of the Lord, there may be someone who does not look like us, who does not dress like us, who may not smell like us. And sometimes you can see the disdain that is upon the people of God's faces looking down as though we forget where God has brought us from. You can see many times people, again, measuring people up and sizing them up and, and they don't even know them. That's right. But they have a perception of what they believe the person is like. And yet there are those who are able to look past all of that and say, I need to be where you are. I need to be in the house of God. 
I need to be in a place where healing is present. I need to be in a place where the word of God is presented. There are yet some roofs out there that are willing to cling and hold on and not let go. What would it be if God would do such a work in us that unlike Naomi, we do not allow the bitterness and the pain that is in our lives and maybe because of past experience of things that have happened in our lives, what would be, what would it look like if we allowed the Holy Spirit to heal us, to touch our lives in such a way that we would say, whatever roofs are out there today, forgive us of where we have erected walls and go with me because where I'm going to my father's house, there's joy there, there's peace there. There's deliverance there. And I might add, and it's a good place to put it, amen. There's praise there. There's worship there. God's glory is present in that place. I believe that with all of my heart, beloved, that we are called to be a church and called to be a ministry. That's right. That allows our hearts to receive some roots that are wanting to go with us. You know, I think, yeah, amen. I think that... That what captured our heart for this passage was the tenacity of Ruth to not give in. Uh, I hope you can see in the passage how high maintenance Naomi is. Naomi's in a bad spot, man. She's bitter. She's upset. She's devastated. It's not hanging out with her is fun, right? I mean, this is of all times to cling to her. This is not the time that's going to be super fun. This is going to be brutal. But somehow they have a relationship that will sustain the bad days. Right? They've had a relationship prior. We have not yet had to walk through very brutal, difficult times. We've walked through some hiccups. We've walked through some challenges. But we have yet to walk through something really severe. And yet we're building a relationship now that we would be able to sustain in that difficult time. But, but understand, it's going to cost you to cross the threshold. Yeah, it's going to cost yeah. you to cross the line. There is a cost to unity. And, and I want to share just four right off the top of my head, four, four different costs that we got to pay, but I want it to be practical. I hope you heard the bishop when he said, man, this is not just a black and white issue that what I found in here is that there are certain divisions that pop up and a lot of them, ladies, I'm seeing them with you. And the division is, I don't know if I can hang out with those ladies. They're not like me. They don't dress like me. They don't hang out. They won't accept me. Actually, I hear that quite a bit. There's a lot of insecurity about saying they will not receive me. Therefore, I'm perceiving I don't belong there. For the guys, there tends to be a divide based on the color of your collar, which is the white collar versus the blue collar. You know what I mean? Guys are going, well, I'm not, you know, that's not really my thing. I'm not really into the tech stuff. I'm not really into the, you know, all the, the, you know, uh, the high level this or that, and that doesn't interest me. I'm much more of a meat and potatoes guy. So I don't hang out with those dudes. That, that's not, those are not healthy divisions because we have so much more in common than we have apart. Let me talk about the cost. The first thing is there's a cost of comfort zone. Hmm. All right. There is nothing comfortable for Ruth to walk into Israel. Hmm. Talk about signing up where people hate you. That's what she's doing. She knows that once she crosses that line, nobody likes her anymore. All the women on that side are going to go, whoa, 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 you're a single woman walking into our town. You better not take one of our men. I'll tell you that right now. 
There was all kinds of defensiveness and we know about your people. We know about your history. You guys are dirty people. You're this, you're that. That's what she's walking into. There's no comfort in where she's headed. And I got to tell you from me personally, God has had me walk over the last four years into some very uncomfortable cultural experiences because God is having me build bridges in places that I'm not yet peaceful. So I get how uncomfortable it is. I know you're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in a lot of the areas that God has called me into. But the more I understand, the more I dialogue, the more I walk with, the more I go through the hard times, I begin to see that we have a lot more in common, that there's not as many differences as I thought there was. But in the beginning, it's uncomfortable. The second cost is the cost of selfish gain. If you're going to do this, and I believe this is the way of Jesus Christ, if you're going to bridge divides, if you're going to unify, you need to invest without the promise of return. Understand that all of Ruth's dreams are back in Moab. Those are the people that will care for her. Those are the guys that will like her. Those are the ones that she has friendships with. There's no selfish gain by her crossing that line. It's only difficulty and cost. Um, I think that we need to realize that as long as we're hanging on to wanting everything to be great for us, we will never make that call. We're never going to do the right thing. We have to give that up. The third thing is the cost of time and resources. Uh, Cost of time and resources. Uh, If there is anything for Ruth, It's not where she's headed. We read the story knowing the end of the story. We read the story knowing that there's a super amazing man, probably the man of the highest character that we get to read about a lot in the Bible. I mean, there's other guys that are more pure, maybe. But talk about an all-around cool dude. That guy's amazing. But she doesn't know Boaz exists. When she starts this journey, she doesn't know there's blessing. She doesn't know that they're going to be loved on. She doesn't know they're going to be protected. She's walking into danger. Hmm. Number four, the cost of retaining your own prior identity. The cost of retaining your own prior identity. When you truly do unity right, you qualitatively change. You become a different person. I would suggest you become a better person. But you change. And a lot of us don't want to change. That's our big problem. When we enter into another culture and you begin to realize there's some parts of that culture that are beautiful and wonderful and glorious, you begin to adopt those pieces and you begin to shift. And in my opinion, you begin to reflect more of the beautiful diversity of Jesus and you begin to be richer and different. But it does mean that you're not just the same old you anymore. It changes you and you got to be willing to accept that. So if you are not determined to go like Ruth was, you're not going to go very far. You're going to bail out when it gets hard. That's what Orpah did. She was not determined to go all the way. So you got to be determined to go. But I want to get into the theology of this concept of unity of what it is and what it isn't because you keep hearing us talk about it and you may have some weird views in your mind you may be thinking man what are you trying to say that we should all just stop our distinctions and we should all become this messy pile of 
mud and, and you know, there are some things, Lance, there are some things that we just can't unify about. I'm agreeing with you. So let me tell you what I think I'm talking about, what I think this man is teaching you, which is that disunity in the body of Christ is not a difference issue. It's a sin issue. It's not a comfort or lack of comfort issue. It's a flesh issue. Understand, flesh wants to hang out with similar type because it's easier. Mm -hmm. That's not the way of the Spirit. That's not the way of the Lord. If that was the case, Jesus would have never walked in with the Samaritans. If that was the case, Jesus would have never welcomed in the Gentiles. If, If that was the case, we would have division all over the place. But that's not right. God is unified. How do we know that? The Trinity is unified. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are different. But they're completely unified in everything that they do. Understand their role and function is different. The Father doesn't do what the Son does. The Son doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't do what the Father does. The point is they have different role and function, but they're absolutely unified. Mm -hmm. So... Unity does not mean sameness. It means recognizing difference and pursuing relationship anyway. Or I would suggest to you, once you mature far enough, the difference is all the more reason to want relationship and to engage, right? So it's not we all have to just shut down moral convictions. That is absolutely not what we're talking about. In my opinion... Unity doesn't mean throwing out God-given convictions or principles. It's not moral compromise. It's maturing to know where the lines actually need to be. All right? Because unity is relational. It's saying, I know you're different. I know we don't agree on everything. And let's talk about just religiously, right? Some of the background stuff. You're going to say, I don't see it that way in the Bible. Okay, if you have a firm conviction, I'm not telling you to throw that out. I'm saying that you recognize, yes, we see things different in Scripture, but it's not a dividing issue. Therefore, all right, you see it that way, I see it. I'm just not going to allow that to destroy relationship. I'm not going to allow the fact that I need to be right to ruin the love. It's okay to love someone that doesn't think exactly like you. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yeah. So I just want to say this last phrase, and I'll hand back over to my buddy. We need to break what is human and enter into what is divine. What is human is comfort zone, sameness, and ease. What is divine is what is right and what is holy and what is good. You know, when I think of that, I'm, I'm a baker only around Christmas time. <laughs> and um, I bake, some of you, what I'm about to tell you, you've never even heard of it. Some of you will be like, what, really? I bake sweet potato pies every Christmas. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell on myself, I make a mean sweet potato pie. <laughs> As we say, I put my foot in it. You understand what I'm saying? I know what I'm doing. But the thing about the pie, for you that are bakers, you know that you have to, you don't use sweet potatoes in sweet potato pie. You use yams. So you put your yams, 
I have to put in the sugar. I have to put in the eggs. I have to put in the vanilla flavoring. I have to put in the nutmeg. I have to put all of these different things in it to pull it together. My mother used to bake them. And then I, after my mother went to be with the Lord, my aunt, I had to call her in Cleveland and asked her, what is the recipe? And she said, make sure you put a little lemon flavoring in it as well. So I did all of these things. I did all of these things and realized after I baked it the first time, I said, it's just not tasting right. And she said to me, she says, she went down the list. Did you put this in? I said, yes. Did you put this in? Yes. She said, you know what? There's one thing that I did not hear you say. You forgot to put in a little salt because the salt will pull all the flavors together. All of the flavors have their distinction. All of the ingredients have their distinction. But what pulls it together, that when you get through, you want to call the police on yourself, (laughs) is the salt. I believe, beloved, that's the same that God is doing within each and every one of us. We come together with all of our distinctions, all of the diversity, all of the unique things that make us who we are. But it is the salt of the Holy Spirit that blends us and pulls us together. That we are that new nation, that new creation that the world looks to for hope and for answers. And I tell you, if ever there's a day that we need answers, we need some hope, it's certainly today. You've seen what has happened in New York. You've seen what happened in Ferguson. You've seen what happened in Baltimore and now Cleveland and in Oakland and other parts of our nation in Los Angeles. You see all of the things that are taking place. And I tell people, I don't really need you to agree with what my perspective is on that. I really don't. That's, that's not what I'm looking for. But when I look to the people of God, Although we might have our distinctions and our thoughts of what the situation may be, what the cause of it is, I really believe what I'm looking for is the belief that there are brothers and sisters who love Jesus enough that you say, regardless of what my take is on that, I am wanting to pray and ask God to heal our land and to heal the pain and the division that is in the land. I I really believe that that's what God calls for and desires in our lives. Again, you may have a take on it. I may have a take on it. But the reality is God has a take on it. The Father sees it as a way that I believe it calls us to a place of prayer. I tell people at times, some of my dear friends, and I love them, and they mean well with what they say. They really do. They say, oh, Parnell, I, I hurt because you hurt. I hurt because this hurts you. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't need you to hurt because it hurts me. I need you to be able to look into the pain of what the situation is. The the wall, the division, the separation. And hurt because it's wrong. Hurt because to see divided people That's painful. That's not God. That's not the heart of Jesus. Beloved, I want to be able to be in a place. That's why I love coming up here to Bridgeway. Because I just believe that this is safe ground up here. I believe there's safety up in here. 
that we can talk about some hard stuff and we not walk out of here and folks say, well, I don't know who that message was for, but whoever it was for, I hope it blessed them. (laughs) I pray that you are mature enough with me and with Lance to say, we want to go deeper. We want to be real about this. God, search my heart. Anything that's not like you, God, take it out of me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I want to serve you not out of religion, but out of relationship. I want to be in the heart and the plan of what God has for us. And I, I, I want to build friendships like the friendship that I'm building here. I'm so glad to know if anything goes down right. with Parnell Lovelace, there's a Lance, Pastor Lance, that's got my back. Right. I don't have to guess on that. I know he's got my back. Come on. Look at somebody. Do like we do back in Sacramento. Look at somebody and say, come on, be patient with me. Go ahead and tell them, be patient with me. Tell them God's not finished with me yet. God's working on me. That's all that's important. As long as we know that God is working on us and he's doing the work because we want, again, to build this in a way that God is glorified He's honored. We're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. James 1, through 27 in the New Living Translation puts, this, puts it like this. And I close with this thought. But don't just listen to God's word, Bridgeway. You must do what it says. Otherwise, we're only fooling ourselves. For if we listen to the word and don't obey the word, it's like glancing at our face in a mirror. We see ourselves, we walk away, and we forget what we look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, hallelujah, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God and the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. Amen. Could I have the prayer team come on up and join me? We're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a beautiful day of teaching us a new way of living. God, reminding us and encouraging us to have the strength and the tenacity to be able to press on for all that you desire. Lord, show us where lines need to be healthy boundaries and God, where they need to be blown down walls. Show us, Lord, what it means to be unified in the body of Christ. Show us what it means to work together for the good. Show us what it means to carry out the good works that you prepared for us in advance to do. Show us what it means to live in forgiveness and live in a healing place and live in extravagant grace. Show us, God, how we can be your family and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.